One of the interesting things is watching a director first dip into advertising because it is such a different world and there are so many opinions that are thrown your way. Hello, this is Edgar Dubrovsky, London-based DP. Welcome to Open Filmmakers Talk. Once again, thank you so much for subscribing and sharing this podcast. This week I talk with Jenny Haberstock and Hilary Rogers, all things running a production company and producing the job. I start the episode with Jenny, who is producer, and in the second half I talk to Hilary, who is managing director and executive producer at Pulse Films US, commercials and branded division. This is an edited audio version of the chat that took place on Instagram in the late summer of 2020. So I'm sorry for the quality of the audio. What does the executive producer and producer-producer do? Scouting for and signing the directors? And how do they know if they're doing a good job? Enjoy. So good to see you. So Jenny is in LA currently, and usually if she's not traveling for shoots. Today we're going to speak with her and uh, Hilary Rogers, who is MD slash EP, so executive producer at uh, Pulse Films US, commercials and branded division. It's kind of a chronological order of producer's career to an extent. Jenny is at the producer stage and then Hillary is at the MDEP stage. Jenny, we've met, what is it, three years ago three in years Brazil. Ago. In, it was just a, our anniversary. Yeah, on a <laughs> job we can't name, which yeah. kind of spun many amazing friendships and more shoots from there, so obviously met uh, Jed and John there and yourself. Yeah, there's all sorts of history, amazing history. Yeah, good times. Um, great. Listen, I want to ask you, how many years do you think it takes to become a good producer? Any day now. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, no, I think it takes a while. From when I moved to LA and then like really focused on my career and really doing that, it took me about eight years. I do think it's like super important to be a good producer, to do all the steps to like work your way up and like pay your dues. I know it's a pain in the ass, but like I came in. Talk me through the steps, like an average. Obviously, your career is quite special. We're going to speak about that separately. But like an average before becoming like calling yourself producer at Pulse Films. What does that mean? What steps you should take? Just very quickly, it's P, I'll explain more, but it's you start as a production assistant, then you move up to a production coordinator, and then you move up to a production manager, and then you become a producer. So and basically quite, with every step, is it higher responsibility and sort of higher yeah. pay then as well? Is, higher pay, higher responsibility, all of that fun stuff. Would but, you say it's uh, more workload, like the higher you go? Was yeah. workload sort of similar, but it's just, just responsibilities. Of it's massive. just different workload. But yeah, it is more workload. More, It's a lot more responsibility the more you go up. And I will say the highest level is like, you know, being a producer, you're in charge of everything and everyone. You have to think about everything and everyone. It's a lot more responsibility because, you know, you're in charge of everyone and you need to make sure everyone's safe. Everyone's, you know, doing what they're supposed to be doing, abiding by all the rules and, you know, all of that stuff. But I joined the industry through my sister, who's a producer, and I was always like that must hire PA that was always on set, which was really annoying for me. I hated it. So I always made sure I worked like extra hard to make sure one, all the other PAs didn't make fun of me because that definitely happened or other people making fun. I just wanted to make sure I picked up garbage. I set up pop-ups. I did all of that. I've done about a million coffee runs in my lifetime. I've done all of it. You know, you make I, a perfect brew. I got you with a perfect latte. And, and Do you know, you? Dylan, 
Fell <laughs> in with his perfect cup of tea. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember that day of sort of becoming producer? Or was it very gradual? Was it just sort of bigger and bigger jobs? Or was it like one shoot was like, okay, I'm the producer now? Well, I did a really small producing job before I should have probably done a producing job. So like that was technically my first job. And when I joined Pulse, I actually joined Pulse to start producing. And when we met in Brazil, I wasn't like quite a producer on that job. And then the job after, I don't even even know if he knows this, but the job after we did Brazil was with John Dower. And that in was the field. actually, in the yeah, field. In the field. Uh-huh. And that was technically my first producing job, technically. Where I still have the front cover of the pre-pro book that says like Jenny Haverstock producer. I was really proud. Aww, <laughs> yeah. That's so, so cool. So, so how many years in production department did you take to basically get that that folder? Seriously, like lockdown only working in production eight years. Eight years. Eight years. It, it takes a long time. Listen, yeah. talk me through because you have very unusual start for a producer to some extent because you were PA to quite big DPs, right? For a few years. <laughs> well, I started at 14. I was on my first set at 14. And I, um, like when casting books were still Polaroids, like I organized those books. I used to have to take taxis to go on runs because like I didn't have a driver's license. So it started really early and I was just like always on set and any vacation I had, I didn't live in LA. Any vacation I had, I came to uh-huh. LA and PA on set and, you know, definitely child labor, Megan, I see you. Um, <laughs> and, and, but it was so fun for me. I just love being there. Half the time I wasn't really doing anything. I was more sitting there prepping time cards, but mm-hmm. it was so fun for me. And then I didn't go to school for film. I went to school for advertising. And then when I did my internship for advertising, I was like, holy crap, I do not like this at all. And then I ended up my senior year doubling my major. So I majored in film and advertising and um, yet you still do commercials so there's, so there's something something nice of, just not the agency sort of side of things not the agency side I wasn't really a fan but um not that I don't respect it you know it's very important <laughs> and um so then my senior year I ended up working for a DP um mm-hmm. who happened to be shooting a movie where my college was and it also happened to be Martin Scorsese movie which is a bit crazy to have that be your first film that you work on and like to see a film set of that magnitude was crazy like I've never seen anything like it and then yeah after I graduated I moved straight to California I think I drove out here like maybe three days after I graduated where was that you mentioned you moved to California so where did you- I was in I was in Boston. I grew up in Maine. Maine. Shout out to the 207. Um, I grew up in Maine and then went to college in Boston. So Mm -hmm. which is like in Massachusetts. And Mm -hmm. then I literally drove out here and I worked for that DP for another year ish and then started picking up PA work. Did you ever want to do camera department then being like for a few years there? I did for a really long time. And then like working in production and commercials, I learned how hard it would be to do that. And I just was like, I know production really well. Like maybe one day my like second career, maybe I'll go into, you know, move into DP. Move just like switch it up. I do really love it. Like I will say working for a DP really gave me a different insight to the industry. I very much appreciate the creative process. I learned so much about it, like working for him and seeing that. How does it translate to your job now? So basically eight, 10 years later, does it help to sort of see when DPs bullshit you with a gear list and stuff? Like how does that shape? Because that's quite unusual to have that sort of detailed experience in the department. I just like understand it a bit more. I understand equipment a bit more. I understand why things 
like are chosen. So like when I'm we're on a tech scout and stuff, I'm very much like, why do you need that? Because like, I'm very aware of like, okay, you might not need that. <laughs> but yeah, it was more like- It didn't happen with me. It was a very- hey. Um... Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> <laughs> very simple setup. Just the 20 days. We did a docu. Very different. You mainly do commercials. Correct me if you're wrong. If I'm yeah, wrong. So but you sometimes do projects out of that sort of realm. Do you? Don't you? Yeah, I like was raised in commercials. I learned in commercials. I'm most comfortable in commercials. There's a some sort of... I say this loosely of structure in commercials that I really appreciate. There's rules, there's a process, like I work really well in those parameters, but I've learned that I'm a horrendous music video producer. Like just don't ask me to, I just, it, it's very different. You have to kind of switch. You need to know how to work like that, especially in America. It's, it's what do you like mean very, by work like that? Is it just, just like no, no budget. It's just, there's not really a lot of rules. You just kind mm -hmm. of like, gotta just like go for it. I very much work well in a rule structured kind of sense <laughs> documentaries was the first one i ever did was with you in brazil when i met you with john dower and i know there's absolutely nothing glamorous about a documentary but there's something about documentaries that i just really love and appreciate and especially watching somebody like john dower direct interview. And like, yeah interview there's like a special art to that and he's really great at it i gotta say i vividly remember first time was with him in a room that was actually in brazil and yeah. he started interviewing, I had to like pick my head from the viewpoint and just like look at him the way he like asks and does the questions is something. It's, it's like, art. wow, I've never seen anyone do it like that. It's like mm -hmm. an interesting way to do yeah. it. So I guess your producing does change from style to style of job, obviously, because of the budgets, I guess, right? That's Budget. Main, it's definitely budgets. Yeah, it's not that like commercials have giant budgets either anymore, but you know, it definitely does shift. And also like, Music videos, at least in America, I know this isn't so much over in Europe and stuff, but in America, we were, I, in commercials, work in a union realm. And then when there's a non-union realm, which is typically music videos, I'm a little more like, because there's no rules. I like to follow rules and like, I can figure and base things off by that. I yeah. also found the, the crew is a bit, dare I say, a bit all over. If it's non-union, it's a really wild west. You can get amazing assistance. You can get all sorts kind of like for UK, it would be like a student film level. You're like, oh, oh yeah. wow. It's you like I didn't really careful. expect it. Yeah, it's so yeah. like suddenly it's wild west as soon as you step from, from kind of the union realm. But does it mean, what's the legality of it? You meant to sort of only work in the union realm or you can as a producer go between? I can do whatever. It doesn't matter. So you don't necessarily like... stuck to just certain sort of level if you want to do a cheeky little commercial. I love a little cheeky commercials. You can observe directors change as well, right? You follow some of them for years, some of them, you know, become friends and, and colleagues. In the realm of work you do, what's the way director grows? Is it from smaller budget commercials then to kind of union and upwards kind of budget commercials? Or is it, do they come from music video? What's the typical route? It really just depends. Like Ryan Booth like did a documentary and we found him through that. And you know, then there's other people that we find through music videos. It really varies on who the person is. And yeah, if they're non-union, we typically start on like smaller non-union projects branded and you kind of like work your way up. You, you get coached kind of, especially at Pulse, like they're really good with coaching 
directors and like you know building them up to the bigger commercials do they sit them all down in sort of rows <laughs> of tables you mentioned ryan here you found ryan for doc is it you have like a set of scouts doing it or is it someone suggesting you directors all, what's the process all by chance it's just somebody finding like ryan i think was found by our old creative director davy spence and he just happened to see his documentary and then really liked his work and then kind of reached out to ryan and then you know kept like folding him into projects that we were working mm -hmm. with at poll so it really you know it depends there's not like one search like person searching out there it's like we're, we follow people's careers we follow people's work we see who's who people are talking about I want to talk to you about the different traits good and bad directors maybe have. I'm intrigued, not obviously just about the good, but I'm also intrigued why sometimes, say, a person does a good, say, spec commercial or music video, whatever, it goes viral, you notice it, and you go for a meeting, Pulse starts to kind of look after her or his like work, but then they don't really get signed. They don't get to that level of being signed. Can you talk me through what usually happens in that year or two? What is Pulse, be it you or Hillary or someone else, not seeing in their work to get to, to the roster? It really just depends. This is more of a Hillary world, but from what I've seen, it's more like you take that year, you do like an off roster situation where you take that year to like build up the real, build up the, you know, the work that they're doing mm -hmm. to see and like teach them how to like make a treatment, how to do agency calls. There's an art to talking to agencies. There's an art to selling your ideas. You're not going to know it right off the bat. It's definitely something that you need to learn. I don't think we've ever had a situation from what I've seen that we've had like, an off roster director that we didn't sign for the most mm -hmm. part. Like there's like, we have a ton of off roster directors that just kind of don't want to be signed because they just want to, you know, have the freedom to do all sorts of things. As a producer, you also deal with HOD's agents. For example, you would call my agent or, or other DPs or production designers agents. What's the process there and what is your relationship and maybe what can be improved in that relationship and communication? I guess the process would be either directors tell me who they want to work with and I just reach out to them or in, especially now in cases of COVID, like I've been pulling a lot of people just based on where they are. So like I reach out to some of my agents and I'm like, hey, who do you have in Arizona? Who do you have? And like, what kind of camera do they have? But like, I definitely have an amazing relationship with my uh, agents. I love all of them very much. You know, I call them to pick their brains all the time. I call them to find out like, who should I be watching? I also send them people who I've seen on Instagram or like wherever it may be, Vimeo or whatever, to see like, if they're looking for an agent, like maybe hit them up. I definitely sent you to agents before in America to get a American and Thank agent. you. And thank you for that. Is there issues, for example, if you compare American agents? Because I know, obviously, from meeting some and European agents, the attitudes are slightly different. You know, there's American ways maybe to, to, to commercials and filmmaking and there's slightly more European ways to dealing. Do you see differences when you say call, I don't know, French or UK agent versus dealing with American crew? It's tricky just because... Most of the DPs and HODs that I work with have agents and reps in the U.S. Uh, of course. Mm -hmm. And then if I'm in a country, and I typically like bring those people to the countries I'm shooting in. So I don't really deal with foreign agents as much as I should. And if I'm working with local people, typically the service company reaches out for me. So I don't have that do connection it. with them. Yeah, I have like my solid U.S. agents, but not so much globally. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. Yeah. 
Talk me a little bit about shooting abroad generally, because I'm sure younger producers who sort of don't even imagine yet. I remember myself some years when starting back, like dreaming, okay, this is going to be like a cool job one day I get to travel. So we all kind of understand when you sort of make it to a certain level, you are kind of shipped all over doing different jobs. What's that process for the production department like? So shooting in Ukraine or shooting in Paris? Well, I um, bid all the jobs that I produce. So I work with the service companies well before I'm even on the ground there. And Can like, you explain depend- that process a little bit for those who are kind of maybe a bit younger, the bidding process? Bidding process. So basically when we get a project in for a director, a director writes a treatment for their scripts and basically how he would shoot it or he or she would shoot it. And then I put that script and treatment and vision into a numerical form and some money and like figure out a production strategy like how are we going to shoot it like how are we going to shoot 16 scenes in two days you know that kind of thing so it's a lot of just like planning it out so we have um partner service companies that we we as pulse work with all the time like i mean obviously if we if an american job goes to the uk we use pulse uk to service the job but like I work in Mexico City all the time. I work in South Africa and, you know, all of these amazing places. And I have such incredible partners there that are truly like family. Like we've gone through the trenches together, whether it's like first starting out with the bidding to just get the damn job. Or if it's like once we're there, like figuring it out and like working and rolling together. I really, I love all of our service companies. I cannot say enough good things about all of them that we work with. And it's normal, right, for, say, when a job comes in, you sort of check with several countries. You can be checking how much it would cost through there, there, there. Is that the typical process? Yeah, definitely. Like it depends what everybody's budget is. Sometimes it's like dictated. Okay, we have to shoot in Canada or we have to shoot in Mexico, wherever. Due to location or or talent sometimes, right? It just sometimes people are there. Yeah. And sometimes it's more like, okay, this is their budget. They're open to shoot anywhere. And then you kind of figure your, just smartly, you figure it out in every country to see where you can get more bang for your buck kind of thing. What is the bang? Like, what is that? extra stuff that you can get not shooting say in uk or us is it more interesting locations is it bigger crews for the same money it's generally just like crew cost production costs gear costs like i know that i can get a lot for a little in mexico like i know i can go a lot further in south africa with money it all comes down to like just being cheaper yeah and time shooting time yeah hillary is saying Um, shooting time so instead of shooting like two days you would shoot three or four yeah like some yeah here like in america specifically it's expensive to shoot here and talent is also really expensive here so another reason to go to foreign countries is because talent is cheaper and can um, we explain also, talent as well? So talent would be people on screen, basically. Yeah, right? people on screen, the on-camera principles, the like stars of our commercials. Who would you usually bring with you? Say if it's coming, the whole circus travels from US, who would fly in? We typically have a big old circus that comes with. Again, it depends on the budget. We do try to work with local people a lot because there are great local people. But typically it would be, you know, director, producer, uh, DP always, unless like we have a partner somewhere that we really love working with locally, production designer and first AD, which is more of a U.S. thing. I mean, now you have first ADs there, but um, yeah, we always bring a first AD as well. Gents, talk me through the 
future for you personally? Do you imagine stepping to EPing? What would be the next steps for you? Yes, I definitely, definitely want to be an EP. That is on the list of things to do in life. But right, I'm not yet. I'm not ready to do that yet. I so much enjoy like the chaos of producing and being on the road constantly and like being in the trenches with your squad you know it's pretty it you get it's some of the like things that we get ourselves in is like very interesting and hilarious all at the same time like i feel like i can look back at so many jobs and just be like hey remember when we did that and, remember when like, we were in that brazilian town where you can't swim because there's sharks yeah, everywhere there's sharks. yeah exactly or like that. when we went to south africa last year everybody landed ended in the morning and I was like guys just so you know we're gonna go on a day and like jump into the ocean in the middle of winter and like swim with penguins it's fine don't worry about it <laughs> you know stuff like that you it can is. do some fun it and I also pretty. really enjoy just like I want to produce more jobs globally like I find it so interesting just to see how every country works like learning all the cultures learning the different crew styles because everywhere is so different you go to Mexico and you're like why are there 700 people here like what do they all do just you know, in catering yeah. yeah just in catering but yeah I I'm not ready yet but I will eventually be ready to EP and I feel like you know, and this is gonna be really cheesy, but I've learned from the best. And I will say that single-handedly Hillary has built the pr producer that I am today. So I feel like when Aww. I am ready to make that jump, I learned from one of the best people I know. So uh, that's so cool. Really quick. I want to shout out to my mom and my dad. They're actually watching. <laughs> so like, hi. <laughs> the whole family's here. The whole family's and, here. And Paul's family, I can see, is Paul's, also Paul's here is waving. Here Talk about the life-work balance. Because obviously, like, <laughs> as a DP, I'm sometimes kind of tired and losing my mind from what's going on in work. But as a producer, that's, I think, at least fivefold. Because you're bidding on one job, you're finishing another job, and you're usually sort of in the middle of the job. Yeah, I mean, if you figure out the life-work balance, let me know. I will say it's a little bit easier when you're freelance because you do get to choose, like, do I want to do this job right after finishing this job? Or, like, do I want to take a little bit of time? At Pulse, I always get, like, maybe a week off after I've done a big shoot, especially if I've been on the road, um, if it works out. But I'm typically, when I'm done, I jump right back into, like, the next thing that I'm bidding. The next or, one, yeah. You know? But, like, let's be real. We don't do this job because we're not, like, complete workaholics. We all are obsessed. And <laughs> everyone knows what I'm talking about. It's we're true. all obsessed with working. And when we're not working, we freak out that we'll never work again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so yeah. true. Yeah. So, like, I spoke to... Um, Paul Dugdale, I don't know if you know, is the director who does kind of biggest concert films as well. And he's basically like, that's just the massive job. And he said exactly that. He was like, when it's like a month long pause, I'm like, wait. And he just done, I don't know, Taylor Swift or something for Netflix. He's like, I think that's it. I'm not working again. It's like everyone. No, no, one, no one likes me. Yeah, no yeah that's it. Me. I did something wrong. I said something. Or like, client hates me. Um, mm -hmm. I wanna, I, let me just quickly check. There's a bunch of questions coming through. I can see that here. Uh, Jenny, do you feel like having a showreel is essential for a director? Is it more of a DP way to show the talent? Basically, can you spot a director's talent through a showreel? I feel like it's more like individual pieces of work, like to see like what they do and, you know, what they have been doing. I know that film, it's a little more of a thing to have a showreel, but for commercials. Just because I the mean, pieces are so long, right? Yeah, it's about individual pieces of work. It's, yeah, you need to, I think for commercials anyway, for film, it's probably a lot different. Yeah, many people told me that. I remember when I started as well. It's sort of like a strange, it's you start 
with showreels when you have don't have much to show but then if you have at least i don't know three four pieces you start showing individuals and then it just grows because yeah yeah and i feel good producer as well i sat once i think it was a job where we needed second unit or something i mm -hmm. sat once next to producer kind of helping to select that extra dp and the speed with which they were doing it now oh, I'm they're like so fast. they just scroll they just literally no one watches the edit of the reel they like pause I'm... it and they just drag it through it's so like, crazy, like, because when I'm putting together, picking DPs is, like, one of my favorite things to do. I literally have lists and lists. Wait, wait, lists. wait. Why are you picking? <laughs> <laughs> well, it depends where we're going, buddy. It depends. You know, I'd always hire That's you. True. I'm joking. Um, but I, like, if I'm looking for, I always just like to watch people's reels anyway and just, like, you know, see what they've been doing. And I definitely am very fast. Like, I can even tell from just, like, the stills. Yeah. The, like, mm. I'm just like, no, nope, Eventually, nope, nope, nope. yeah, yeah, yeah. You get that. Eventually. The judgment is so cool. And then if you're not sure, then you're like, I'll watch a couple. And then you're like, nope. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because yeah, it, like your every option you click into has to be basically perfect for those who are starting i think because like the yeah. producer can click on something and it's like okay that's it they're sort of they're not gonna spend more yeah. i want to ask you for those who are listening who maybe say imagine yourself they're like 19 20 or something there's some guys who are just out of film school or even still in film school from now being a producer what can you see what makes a good pa what does a good PA do to be rehired and called again? Good question. Having a good attitude, like when you act like you know everything, it's the worst. I will not hire a PA that acts like they know everything. You just have to have a hustle. Don't stand around. Be proactive. Like garbage cans are full. Empty them. You know lunch is coming up. Where is it going? Set it up. Help departments. Introduce yourself to people. Make sure everyone on that set knows who you are and that you can help them. Just always be on the walkie. Always answer your walkie. I know that all seems like so basic, but you'd be surprised how many people, like I'm like, hello? Can I get a PA? Hello, hello. Um, but yeah, you just got to like have a good attitude. Have a smile on your face. We're not going to always ask you to do the most amazing task, but like do it with a smile. Do you think I wanted to go on the 7 million coffee runs that I went on? No, but I did it with a smile on my face. Be on a walkie. Don't be lazy. <laughs> don't be lazy. Hustle. <laughs> awesome. Gents, thank okay. you so much. So we're going to connect Hillary me. Rogers now. I'm going to get and out of thank here. Thank you so, so, so much, Jenny, for, for all the answers. Awesome. Of course. Love you. Bye. Love you, Jens. Hillary. Hi. How are you? I'm so good. good. to sort of see you again. We met once, Jenny. I, I know. It's been ages. It Thanks has. for inviting me. Thank you. Thank you. So I'm going to introduce is Hilary Rogers. She's managing director, executive producer of Pulse Films US, commercials and branded division. So what yeah. does a managing director and slash executive producer as well do? What's your actual job? Yeah, it's um, there's a lot of things like everyone in production, a giant bucket of things that you are responsible for. It has a lot to do with running how Pulse works in the United States in the ad game. For me, it has a lot to do with building the relationships with our advertising agencies, making sure our directors are like talked about and seen, making sure our executive producers and our producers like Jenny and our freelancers are like top notch and really good at what they do and are well looked after. I think that's a big part of it is you want to make sure that your freelancers who are executing like everything you've promised are like 
happy to do so and feel like you're on their side and are going to make sure that it's done really well because they want to do it for you and Pulse and the director. And How you know they're doing a good job? Is it from just years of experience? You can sort of notice when someone is, something is slipping? Yeah, it's a really good point. You know, it depends on how much time you have to pay attention. Honestly, it could be as simple as how many phone calls are you getting from, you know, your director or your line I producer I see. or how many phone calls you're getting from your agency producer. You know, back when I was line producing and I was paired with a new director, I had no idea if I was doing a good job. And I talked to someone back in the home office and they were like, no, we think you're killing it because we haven't heard from the director once. And usually mm -hmm. we hear from him like 12 times a day. And that's how you know you're doing a great job. That means that person feels well looked after and trusts you to have all the conversations. Makes yeah, sense. That, I think that's So now I guess you're not that often on set, right? So your job is mainly with Pulse as in Pulse, basically, as the office, yeah. basically running the whole show. Do you miss being on set? Do you miss that sort of oh, hustle I and do. Jenny mentioned? Totally. I miss the camaraderie. I mean, mm. we have our own version of it in the office and it's definitely solid and tons of fun. But as Jenny was saying, like, I miss being in strange places with people and like just the bonding that inevitably happens when you're in a ridiculous situation and there's no way out of it except to like work through it together. So I miss that. I miss the immediacy of solving the problem and how quick your mind has to work when, you know, something goes horribly wrong and you have to explain it to somebody come up with a solution to something you never expected. And I love traveling. Like I love being all over the world or all over the country. I love meeting all the people around the world and all over the country. That used to be one of my favorite things was talking to people who aren't in our business. And we're just lucky enough to be like dropped into their factory to film something or- Yeah, that's you know. so true. The, the, the yeah. having a camera on a shoulder gives you some weird kind of AAA pass everywhere does. <laughs> any factory or any concert you're sort of more or less around it's a strange mm -hmm. very hard to explain access which into, yeah. into the workings of anything of anywhere in the world i want to ask you as well regards the kind of the, the general trends these days with younger producers or maybe not even producers still sort of people in between the pa and producer producer do you feel there's a difference in the approach with younger people going up the kind of career ladder? Are they trying to get it all a bit too quick? What's your kind of observation? Well, I think it's, you know, it's one of those things that you got to watch what you say because the older people always say it about the younger people that like you haven't earned it yet. But I do think that there's a distinct difference between the environment we're in right now and the environment that I joined the industry in at the very tail end of. And like, as soon as digital filming became possible, like it dropped the bar of entry, like the barrier of mm -hmm. entry into mm -hmm. filming in a significant way. Why is that, do you think? Is it just because everyone could try filming? Because not quality didn't really rise all of a sudden, it's right? It's not it about just quality. more people filming? Yeah, it's less about quality and more about access, right? So when you think about it, before you had to get your hands on film, you had to get your hands on money to develop and transfer that film. And you had to be careful what you film because you only had so much film, right? So, and now you have in your hand a device that can, you know, film like endlessly. And from like mm -hmm. all that footage, you can make something. Maybe people who never could be able to afford to make a short music video. Did you see influx of kind of 
people from maybe demographics or certain incomes, which were never in the film before, and suddenly they can do it. I think it's like everything that else that happened when the internet became accessible and social media was on the rise. Like all of a sudden you have access to not only like posting your point of view and sharing it with others, but then those others had the opportunity to see it. And that has like completely shifted, you know, who gets a say, who gets a voice. I mean, still it's not completely equal, but it's so much more diverse now, like what we get to see and how we see it and where they're filming than it ever was when I was on the come up. It's just a completely different world. And there's like so much more that goes into DPing than just filming something. Yeah, right? owning like a red, yeah. yeah, you know, and it's true in advertising, it's true in film. Like you really have to listen to what people want and what they need and what they're looking for and act on it, which is very different than taking a camera and capturing your own vision. Right. So it's a different way of doing things. It's a different process. And I guess so, that's something yeah. even younger directors don't really like that doesn't click with them straight away that they will be sitting as commercial directors, probably through a bunch of meetings with agency, with client. And like Jenny mentioned, there's a special skill to learn how to win those battles. Would you say not everyone is they can be good director, but they can be quite bad negotiators sometimes? Yeah. Look, everyone's got their strengths, you know, but I think like one of the interesting things is watching a director first dip into advertising because it is such a different world. And there are so many opinions that are thrown your way. And yes, you're the director, but you're not in charge. It's like a committee thing. Sometimes you're lucky and you get partnered with incredible creatives and a really brave client. And you can really make something together that's like better than any of you would have made by yourself. And that's, that's the dream. For younger guys and girls, creatives is the agency. So basically creative agency yes. who helps, who comes up yes. with ideas sometimes. Like just to explain to those who want to maybe go into ads as directors, what's the role of director in all of that, in that committee? Right. So the director takes something from a page and brings it out into the world and gets it onto film or onto a hard drive. You know, it's one thing to talk about it. And it's something else entirely to take someone's idea and actualize it. So I would say different directors work in different ways, but some of the best directors I've worked with are people who can take someone else's idea and verbalize it in a way that like each department understands because how you're talking to your production designer is going to be slightly different than how you're talking to your DP or your wardrobe designer, or any of those things. So a director really needs to not every director, but some directors really, you know, that's their strength. They get it. They see what the agency is asking for, or the client, and they're able to take that and in the process of like partnering with other people, make it like real and, mm -hmm. and hopefully make it better. Do you feel there's also a bit of an kind of ego reigning going on that producer has to do sometimes? Because obviously it's not going to go director's way, even if 32 in the comments here saying they are in charge. <laughs> they are in charge, but like, do you sometimes have to also play that manager role as producer to be like, let's kind of control Always. it? Always. And that's where the trust comes in. You know, it's human nature to think that what you're thinking is the best way to do something. And as the producer or the executive producer, it is your job to, in a lot of ways, see what everybody's trying to get at and get everybody there. You're the director's producer, you're the production company's producer, but 
when you're in the process of filming, like you're the project's producer, like you need to make sure that everybody who's relying on this gets what they need to make it great. You oversee a tons of projects being as head of commercials, basically in Pulse US. Would you say that the gap between what directors or director imagined and what kind of client got out of the thing eventually? So what's the actual client cut? Is it pretty massive or is it sort of pretty close usually? Mm. Or is usually the director's not really happy, hence the director's cut sometimes. Yeah, I mean, that's why you have director's cuts because there's usually something that they- every job basically has director's cut? Not every job, like some jobs, like there is amazing alignment and everybody is super proud and they like all have a similar vision and they're able to make it together. But I think that there's always gonna be you're serving different masters in the end, like a director is going to look at something in a different way than a client is. Like a client has to make sure that their public, their consumers get it and like it. And the consumer's taste might be different, often is different than like the director's taste. That's what's tricky about advertising. And that's what makes it different from, I would assume, filmmaking or television in some ways is that like we are hired to deliver for the client so that it ups their sales or ups their, you know, the people seeing yeah, them image, or what yeah. they're, yeah, their brands. What do you feel changed with, because I guess you worked through the, like you say, the film capture, which means this probably wasn't so much online as well because YouTube wasn't developed enough. You mainly shot the actual TV commercials. What has changed there when, when clients and agencies started asking to shoot not just the 30 slash 60 second spot, they also, you have to deliver like 10, 15 second online content do you feel it's sort of spreading that a little bit thin to what in terms of even budgets and time is given it's tricky because for a long time like the 30 second or the 60 second broadcast commercial was king right mm -hmm. and it was like it, everything in the ad campaign was serving that or filmed portion of the advertising strategy but what's shifted now is that there's so much that people consume online in little bites that the 60 second spot, the 30 second spot are still very important because they are like the big moment, the big like viewpoint, you know, the big reveal. The master but, file sort of. Exactly, but like clients who have to work a lot in like numbers and statistics and things like that, they see the numbers as like, you know, what actually gets more views and more clicks is something that's six seconds, something that's 15 seconds, something that's made new every two weeks, you know? And so for them, like they understand the importance of the ad. And obviously that's what we're here to produce is something amazing and high quality. But they also understand that like they're, they're customers. Rule. Yeah. Like they, they consume in a completely different way. And so that's a different balance. Like it's, you know, for a long time when things were starting to shift to socials, the film teams, like the ad teams, us would sort of roll our eyes at like, Oh yeah, we've got a socials team and like, you know, let's get them some time and blah, blah, blah. But it's become in the past 10 years, like increasingly more important. That's and hence the different aspect ratios, of course, that yeah. was, that came from yeah. there as well, but suddenly. And then it's a matter of like, okay, cool. So how do you incorporate that into your own process of like the 60 second commercial so that you can also have an impact on the quality of what is being produced, you know, have a say in what's being done for like the smaller bits, the social bits, things like that. There's a lot of questions basically from directors about being noticed. How 
does that process work and maybe how long it takes even and what's the best way to do it to basically get signed by Pulse, for example? There's no formula. Like I wish there was, but just like lots of creative endeavors, it's really a matter of having your voice and like being unstoppable in that way. And, you know, for us, we rely a lot on people like Jenny, for instance, who, I don't know, just find, discover, consume, identify like new talent. And we do that too through our sales teams or just like what we watch, going to Sundance, going to film festivals, seeing like smaller pieces of content that somebody's directed and what you see in that is their potential there. I think it's a matter of just getting your work seen and seen by a lot of people, not just me as an executive at Pulse Films. It's about the person who answers our phones at Pulse Films, the person who helps us design our treatments at Pulse Films. Everybody has a voice, especially the company like Pulse. Like we rely on each other for creative inspiration and for ideas. And it doesn't have to come just from the director or just from a producer. It comes from everyone keeping that in mind that there are scouts everywhere, especially right now. Everyone's on social media and going to film festivals. But I guess, yeah, the, the big kind of trade, like you mentioned, is the voice, right? It has to be something new because there's no point signing what you have already on the books. Yeah, something new, somebody who, you know, you always want to have younger voices coming in to like make sure that you don't have like um you're always offering the same thing, but it's also the directors that we've been working with for the last like 15 years, like it's just like those guys get to like train or teach or like mentor younger filmmakers. It's a real process. Like you need young filmmakers just like you need like elder statement filmmakers. Everybody offers something. Would you say you, a director, can be signed off one thing? Or usually that means they're on a radar. They sort of will be looked at for a bit of time. I mean, in my world, that means you're on our radar. And if there's pro like a project that would be like particularly well catered to that person in that one piece that I saw them do, then there's always a chance we might talk to them or ask them about it or ask them to participate. But I think like, I know Jenny touched on this, but a lot of what we do, especially if it's people who haven't been active in advertising or advertising on the level where we work, I think it's important to have them be a back pocket or an off roster option and put them through the process, put them through the ringer. Do you like it? Do you find value in this? Are you interested in working in this particular part of the field? A lot of people love it because you make good money, but you also get the opportunity to work with a lot of different types of crew, different types of toys, different places in the world. Advertising is a great way to learn quickly and experience things quickly. Because makes sense. And I guess see the time, results pretty quickly. Exactly. Yeah, our turnaround time is super fast. And like Makes you hire someone you've been wanting to work with and that's great. You work with them on one job. Is it a disaster? Do you never want to work with that person again? Great. You never have to see them again after a week. Only three days. Like, it's Only fine. three days. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and that's one of the really great things about ads is that Makes like you really can like play around. I'm gonna ask a question from Dylan which was sent ahead. Oh, no. Oh, sorry. I have to interrupt myself here just to explain. Dylan is Dylan Southern from the Director's Duo 32. Going to interview him, actually, a bit later in the season, in a couple of episodes or so. So, yeah, just so you understand who I mentioned here, that's Dylan, director, who is signed with Pulse. 
not that it's that important in regards to his question, but just so you're not confused, like, who the hell is Dylan? So Dylan has sent many existential questions, but there's also like a kind of like a real life scenario there as well. Oh, no. Dylan writes, the entirety of Pulse films are in one location for a huge company meeting. There's a fire. Hillary can save everyone if she lets one person burn to death. Who and why? <laughs> and then he adds in brackets. <laughs> and then she he adds in brackets. She can't choose herself. Oh, that's so... Thanks, Dylan. Thanks for that. That's a, <laughs> that's a great question. And you know me so well, you can't choose myself. Thanks, Dylan. <laughs> There's a question from Anna. Do you see any gaps in the market that very few or none directors fill at the moment? So as in, she means, I guess, a particular style maybe of directing that, for example, you don't have on the books yet? Wow, that's a great question. I haven't really thought about it. Have you ever had like, a, I don't know, a brief come in and you're like, hmm, interesting, we don't have that many style jobs. On, you know, I, we do periodically. I mean, we have like a great a... roster, so yeah. it's very deep. So we have generally people to like suggest I would actually say nothing pops to mind, honestly, but what I would recommend to that filmmaker is like, show me what you can do that no one else is doing. Make that space for yourself. Show me what's different. Because I think like some of our like standout directors and some of the people that went from like zero to 60 super fast did that. They showed us something that no one even thought of. And then it inspires like people at Pulse. It inspires people who write for advertising or entertainment. It's really a matter of like, what don't you see in the world? And like, show us what you got kind of thing. Great. Thank you so yeah. much. I can see a timer. It's going to cut us off because it's exactly an hour. Thank you so much to Hillary and Jenny for Mwah. joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you for so answering much. all the questions. Thanks. See you soon, <laughs> hopefully. Ladies and gentlemen, Jenny and Hillary. I just want to say that John were mentioned at the beginning of this chat. It's John Dower the director I had a chat with on the very first episode of this podcast. He's a great award-winning and Emmy and BAFTA-nominated documentarian. Both me and Jenny and Hillary work with on the commercial we can't name. Have a listen. It's, yeah, episode number one. Thank you so much for listening. And please do share. It helps for this podcast to grow and then invite more and more guests. The next episode is going to be kind of an unusual one. I do this Q&A session, usually on Instagram, once a month, but I decided this time to collect the questions, answer only the short answers there, but then do an elaborate topic-based discussion here on podcast. So that's going to be the next episode coming out next Wednesday. If you want to ask a question, do so on my Instagram. The links are in the description of this episode. It's at Edgar Dubrovsky. And I'll be collecting the, the questions on Saturday. And see you next week.